Hello, everybody. My name is Brittany Chalk, and you're listening to A Dancer's Guide. Welcome back to the Dancer's Guide podcast. This episode is for dance teachers that want to learn more about what it means to be anti-racist in the studio. And we'll also be talking about how teachers can best care for their LGBTQ plus students. These issues could not be more prevalent, and I'm so excited to speak with a black, queer, non-binary femme who is using her artistry as a vehicle for social change. I'm so incredibly happy to introduce Crystal Collins. Hi, Crystal. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, how are you? Yeah, doing good. Thanks for being here. Of course. (laughs) Well, why don't you start off by introducing yourself a little bit? Yeah, Uh, Like you said, my name is Crystal Collins. I use she, they pronouns. I uh, am currently based in Washington, D.C. by way of Chicago. That's where I grew up. I was born and raised in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. Uh, Yeah, and I am a choreographer, performer, writer, all things dance. Um, Sort of a jack of all trades, but they all all of the roads lead to dance, uh, truly my passion and, and um, what I love to do. Amazing. Well, all roads lead to dance. Can you share what your unique dance journey has been? For sure. Like some people, I started dancing when I was really young. My parents put me in what I like to call the big three when you are three years old, like I was when I started, which oh, is I like see. ballet, tap, jazz. Yep. Um, <laughs> That whole track that (laughs) some dancers start off with when they're really young. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's where I truly began to cultivate my love and passion for dance. I had always been dancing before that in formal and in informal settings. So whether that's, you know, at family parties uh, and also in the studio. And I remember, vividly remember when I was younger, There were things I loved about formal in-studio dance training. And then there were things that I didn't like so much. And I can remember uh, doing a combination at the ballet bar and being really young, like maybe five or so. And I remember being like, okay, if I just close my eyes, maybe I can go to sleep for a little bit. And then when I turn back around, I can be lively and awake again. And... That's so funny to me. I was just reflecting on that because I did the same thing all the way up until college. (laughs) I can remember in college being like, you know, partying the night before or getting in really late or staying up late studying or something and then going to an early ballet class and being like, okay, if I just close my eyes for the combination where I'm facing away from the teacher for that little bit then maybe I can turn around and really hit it when I'm when I'm facing them and like take a nap uh when I am facing away from them so that's amazing I think that speaks to one my comfortability level inside of being in a dance studio or in a dance activated space it truly became and still is my everything, my place to my place where I have found some of uh, my dearest friends, um, the place where I really grew and developed as a human being. And I can attribute my successes in dance. And I can really like, when I think about my dance journey, it really comes down to like, 
some few pivotal moments and times in my dance training. And Mm. one of them was, you know, growing up and um, starting formal dance training young and sort of going through that whole studio process. And another was I was on my middle school's dance team and also my high school's dance team. And I felt like I learned so much about community, about dancing with others, about activating a space Mm. and transforming it with, you know, other people in it. And that's some formative training that I truly, it's truly endearing to me. It's, it's something I cherish Mm. a lot when I think about that time, those times in my life. Um, There is nothing like, you know, dancing with 15 other people um, and having to convey a message or just simply being in sync with that many people. It truly is an an energy that I don't think gets talked about a lot or maybe gets glossed over. Mm -hmm. And it's powerful. Yeah, it, it really is powerful. And I think it truly informed when I got to college and was sort of thrusted into the concert dance world. It was truly some training that um, I think set me apart or just put me on sort of a different level of thinking about art and about dancing with other people uh, because I was so invested in the relationship of like being in sync with my fellow dancers more than the choreography, I guess. Wow. That's a really interesting take. Yeah. And I, I went through many phases about my like time in on dance teams. Mm -hmm. And one of the phases was being a little embarrassed about that lineage of my dance history. I, felt that it was like an inferior sort of training or not not mm. a a high caliber of training and maybe that was true in the technical sense but the things i learned again about community about activating uh, an energy with multiple people about caring for people is something that is invaluable truly to me and and something i cherish more than, you know, that my leg isn't as high maybe as <laughs> other people or my toes aren't as pointed. Right. And I'll say too, the last piece to my dance journey was really dancing outside, mm. dancing in the elements. It's truly what I have held on to from my childhood and something I still love to mm. do. And it was so interesting to me, you know, when quarantine happened and now we're in the space where some people are choosing to offer their dance classes outside. And I love that idea. And I hope it's something that stays because (laughs) it's such a different physicality when you have to uh, dance outside and you have to activate the space with dance Mm. and you have to work with the space that you have. Right. And I think it it taps into a different part of the artistry. And I really love that trend. Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, I was going to say with, with quarantine, everyone's kind of been forced to do some sort of outside activity. Uh, studio space is very limited. Um, I can't say myself that I've 
ever danced outside like in a class or something um I haven't done that but I think you you obviously were ahead of the curve for this whole thing if you were dancing outside before this ever happened so maybe uh, hopefully there will be some elements of this that continue exactly yeah yeah yeah. amazing well you're two years out of college is that correct Mm -hmm. correct okay And you already have quite an impressive resume, not just as a dancer, but also as a creative. Can you share a little bit about what led you to embrace the challenge of creating social change through dance? You know, where does that passion stem from for you? Yeah, I feel like as a Black queer femme, as someone who is highly marginalized, I see the world through those lenses. I see the world through, you know, through my eyes, uh, through those highly marginalized groups. And I feel like I, it's almost like a calling, like that I was led to this path um, on purpose. And I feel like it's, it's sort of like my destiny to, to talk about things and to not sweep things under the rug and to use dance as the medium to communicate to people and to convey ideas and to have tough conversations. Which I think is great because dance is a universal language. Right. Everyone somewhere will understand a piece if it's got the right motivation behind it. Exactly. And I think, too, about that is like, just like you said, dance is a universal language. And I feel like a piece is so successful when a large audience can, one, see themselves in something or see society reflected or think about society in a different way after they've watched Mm -hmm. the piece. Yeah, walk away and and have different thoughts, have a different perspective and have a different conversation afterwards. Yeah. Right. And I think that art is that accessible medium. It can be that accessible medium and channel to really speak to the most intimate parts of people and Mm. to speak to the most intimate parts of society and to really call things up. Yeah. And leave no stone unturned. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a gift. Um, I feel like when I was your age, I did choreograph then as well. But I was just kind of like putting movement to music, didn't really have a purpose for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's such a powerful thing for for you to have some direction uh, with your choreography and an intention behind it. Um, I wish I kind of had that direction when I was a bit younger, but I had no clue what I was doing. (laughs) I'll say too, I still still have no clue what I'm doing in the sense that like, Yes, I do have a clue, but also I don't have a clue. And that is perfectly... You're still evolving. Yeah, exactly. The, my artistic voice is still evolving. Mm. And I think it is spherical in the way that there's so much to, to see. It's three-dimensional. Mm. And I am only, you know, on one side of things or on one scope. So th- there's still so much more to discover. So I am excited about that. Oh, yeah. Big things for you on the horizon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's jump into our first topic, Mm anti-racism. Firstly, in your opinion, what is an anti-racist dance studio? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it looks like something that we have never seen before. I think it requires 
radical reimagining, especially as artists, as makers, choreographers, dancers, it requires the most amount of our imagination. And I think that's what it's going to take to really have an anti-racist space, an anti-racist dance studio. It's going to take everyone thinking harder and imagining bigger. And I think that sometimes as creatives, as people who make things, it can be hard sometimes. Once you've found your groove or found your thing, it can be hard to break that or think outside of that mm -hmm. scope. And I think that's exactly what it's going to take. It's going to take people being uncomfortable for some furniture to be shifted, for some energies to be shifted. And, you know, I don't know what that looks like. And I think that's a good thing. Mm. That I think it's a good thing that I don't see that right now in the sense that, again, it's going to take that imagining to get there. Mm -hmm. Meaning that it's a good thing that we don't have all the answers. I don't see that as a sort of like bad thing to harbor on. Mm. I think all we need to do is continue to look for the answers and seek them. And that's going to take a collective action. And that's also going to take lots of work and time and energy. And it's going to be different, I think, for, for every studio, right? You have to be creative with what you have in your, in your own studio. Exactly. And I think, yeah, I think you're speaking to exactly the, like, it's going to take you surveying your community. Right. And so that's going to look different for every community, every dance studio, wherever you are, whether you're in a city, whether you're in the country, um, you know, that's going to take you really working with your community members to make that happen. Mm, absolutely. Love that. Well, the majority of time, I feel people usually advocate for circumstances they've experienced themselves. I know I have. Has this been the case for you? Have you experienced racism from dance teachers? Yeah, and I think that is sort of the problem that we get into as humans is that we get so wrapped up in our own experiences and our own mm -hmm. individualism that it's hard for us to imagine another life or circumstances. Yeah. And that's where that empathy tool comes in and that empathy part to not necessarily put yourself into someone else's shoes, but to say that I don't know what you're going through. I can never imagine what you're going through, but I'm here for you in the ways that you need. Mm. I think that's a very important part. Yes. And Yes, I have experienced racism from dance teachers, whether it was overt or covert, whether it was big or small. Right. And, you know, just some examples, too, around the way that racism sort of just gets perpetuated constantly is even in like, you know, growing up, I didn't have there were no flesh colored tights until very recently or the flesh colored tights that I finally found in high school, I had to like search the internet for hours to find flesh colored, my flesh colored tights, my skin tone. Um, there were no jazz shoes in my skin tone. There's probably still aren't. Maybe there are. I hope there are. If <laughs> I feel like it's happening. I've, I've, I've seen some companies starting to 
bring out skin color lines. So it's an amazing step forward. But yet, I mean, it's 2020 and we're just rolling it out. Right. I remember having those jazz shoes and they were kind of like a olive green almost when I was younger. And it was like, that didn't match anyone. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And um, something else I was reflecting on, too, was like this idea of mandatory hairstyles or mm. having hairstyles that go along with a certain theme of dance. It's like I most of my dance training in my formative years when I was growing up, I lived in a predominantly white subdivision in a predominantly white suburb outside of Chicago. So, you know, when there's a mandatory hairstyle for a dance, it's like, well, I can't do that with my hair. I have 4C right. coarse hair. And for me to achieve that style would mean I would have to, you know, go to great lengths to, you know, have this done and spend hundreds of dollars um, on something that, you know, might take another cast member 15 minutes to do. And, you know, those are some of the ways that, you know, racism just gets perpetuated and continues with you know, with or without the knowledge of the choreographer or the dance Mm -hmm. studio, you know, those things are just happening. And then that puts extra burden on black people and people of color to, you know, conform and to make it work. Right, right. I honestly, this is such an enlightening conversation for for me. I wouldn't have even thought, of course, it's it's so simple for my mom to have put my hair straight up into a bun, no problem. But for you to say you'd have to go to great lengths to achieve the same thing, the teachers have got to collaborate with those students to make sure that they're actually comfortable with that as well. And is there some sort of middle ground where we can have a hairstyle that matches everyone and a dress code that everyone is is comfortable with, really? Yeah, and it makes me think of, too, like, what is the... I'm going to say this in the crass way and then I'll (laughs) clean it up. What is the point of the uniformity? And I think that's something that like dance educators and studio owners should ask themselves. Like what, what is this for? How does this serve the piece? How does this, and most importantly, how does this serve the dancers? Mm. You know, no matter how old or young they are, like, what is the obsession with uniformity? <laughs> you know, is it going to ruin the dance if, you know, everyone has their hair in a different way? Right. You know, is that going to, you know, as long as, of course, it's safe, yeah. you know, oh, something yeah. I would say or s- something I say when I'm choreographing a piece that's going to be used in a recital is that, you know, as long as it's out of their face and that they, this is, you know, specifically for hair, as long as it's out of their face and that it's not obstructing their view, then, you know, I have no issue with whatever they feel is going to look best on them because after all, I'm not performing it. (laughs) You know, I, and for me, it's way more important for my students to be comfortable on a stage um, than for me to see them looking the same right. when I know they're not the same people. <laughs> right. I mean, you think about like a Broadway show. No two characters have the same costume on. Exactly. Like it's not, it doesn't need to be the same thing over and over and over again, copy and paste. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. And even like uniforms in a studio, I can get that there's like a sense of, I guess, discipline 
in having a uniform. Right. Um, and, and dance does teach you that discipline. But I also think dance is a form of expression. Exactly. And you should be able to express that in your unique way. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're stifling kids expression if you if you require them to wear this and have their hair like this and mm-hmm. and it, yeah it might off put people that don't feel comfortable yeah. in those clothes in that hairstyle mm-hmm. so yeah and yeah. I think about that too even um you know taking ballet class as a kid mm-hmm. I, you know, tights are so uncomfortable to me <laughs> and I would never choose to be in tights and a leotard ever in my life. And also mm. like, I'm just a naturally cold person. So I'm like, I'm wearing like very tight fitting spandex. I am freezing. Like there's no reason why to be this cold. And um, just like you said, dance is a form of expression and I don't think I danced any better because I had tights on. Mm. Like it didn't, it didn't make me dance any, you know, it didn't make me more flexible or, right. you know, make my toe more pointed because I was wearing tights. And, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I understand the reasoning behind tights, yeah. um, but equally, yeah, when I started to leave my studio, I didn't wear tights like that was such a weird the only thing I wore okay was fishnets but that's like a whole different story I wonder too how much of dance education especially in traditional forms is just upholding traditions and how much of it is actually imagining and reimagining those traditions to serve your current students in this Mm. current time you know Mm -hmm. that's a really good point you're right dance is a tradition and I think that, you know, that's totally valid and important part of our history. And I think that there's a place for tradition. Absolutely. And still, I wonder, why is there so much onus on upholding mm-hmm. it? Right. You've got to be willing to adapt and, and change with the times and, and figure out a way to uphold that tradition whilst moving forward. Exactly. Yeah. Well... Again, this is kind of why we're having this conversation today. I'm, I'm hoping it facilitates necessary change so that young non-white dancers don't continue to experience this discrimination. And, and with that, how would you say dance teachers can advocate for their non-white students? Um, you know, what can dance teachers do to implement anti-racist practices? I'll say, and I think this comes out of either, (laughs) this is something my mom used to say, and I think it comes out of like the Black American Baptist church tradition, Mm -hmm. but she would say something like, get your house in order. So, and that would mean, you know, really do the introspective work as a dance teacher, studio owner, someone who is in the dance field, you know, get your house in order, look in and see and be honest with yourself in the ways that you have perpetuated racism, in the ways that you have upheld white supremacy, and uh, do that work for yourself. Um, because then when you step into the studio, you are now a more informed dance teacher. And I think another way as well to advocate for non-white students is to listen to them, 
And it's really simple, but it seems to be a hard task for some people to really, truly listen and not only listen for what they're saying, but uh, without sort of assuming, listen to what they're not saying or or listen to and pick up on body language. Are your students uncomfortable with certain things and they, you know, don't feel um, they don't feel comfortable saying it. And then ask yourself why, why the students or the people you interact with don't feel comfortable coming to you with sensitive information. Yeah. And I also think as well, uh, it really, really starts with having tough conversations with yourself, with administrative staff, with anyone you interact with in the dance field. Yeah. That's amazing advice being honest with yourself, I think, is is a hard hurdle, mm-hmm. but necessary in this. Um, you know, and for you to say, listen, of course, it's a simple action. But I think as teachers, we think we know best. Right. Because why would we be teachers if we didn't, right? But listening to them is, is what they're going to teach us as much as we're going to teach them. Absolutely. Um, and picking up, you can tell when when a kid is not okay or their their face has gone down or, you know, they start getting all teary if something, you know, they can't pick up something right away. They get frustrated. Yeah. Teaching is definitely a two way street yeah, for me. Really good. Points. I enter into my teaching practice knowing that I have a lot of knowledge and skills to impart, but that also I don't have a lot of knowledge and skills. And some of that is going to be taught to me by the children that I teach or by the adults or anyone who I am imparting wisdom on, that they also have that autonomy and space to impart wisdom on me. The last part also as a way that teachers can advocate for their non-white students is to teach them how to advocate for themselves. That may not be a skill that you have in your dance teacher skill set to teach people how to do that. And, you know, I would say that, you know, that gets put on you as the teacher to learn those skills in order to impart them to your, um, to your students. Teachers are, at least for myself as a teacher, you know, I'm a student first. And so I'm constantly, constantly learning in order to be able to, you know, give my best and most present self as a teacher. Yeah, that's a brilliant view. So do you let your students, would you want your students to speak to you in the studio? Or would it be appropriate for them to contact you outside of the studio? If, if they're having difficulties, if they're f- not comfortable saying it in front of the other students, how do you how do you deal with that? I make sure that I give multiple options okay. uh, because, again, I believe that, well, this is just a simple fact that there are a multitude of learning styles. Mm. Um, not everyone learns the same. And so I sort of use that same philosophy about everything, that not everyone is going to Uh, look at things the same. So I make sure I give several options for, you know, group talk or, you know, even just kind of hanging around in the, let's say if I, you know, it's the last class I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. um, If I were, you know, in a studio setting, you know, that may mean that I just hang around for a couple extra minutes um, so that people can come up to me and talk and, you know, schedule that into my 
you know, studio time. And just like you said, um, you know, outside of the studio as well, you know, making sure that they have some sort of way to contact me or letting their parents know if they're minors, you know, that this is a way that they can contact me. Yeah. So again, just giving multiple options for communication. Yeah. Making yourself accessible to the students, letting letting them know that, that you're there for them. Exactly. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to our second topic, sure. caring for LGBTQ plus students in the studio. Mm-hmm. So what can dance teachers do to provide proper care for their LGBTQ plus students? Yeah. And I think this goes along too with anti-racist practices as well as just staying current on what's going on and also reading uh, and doing that work too. I think that as dance teachers, as teachers in general, there are so many facets to our work that's not just teaching. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I like to look at teaching and I hope that others look at it as well. And so part a part of my teaching practice is to make sure that I am educating myself on issues that are current and that are also important to my students. Yeah, amazing. I also start there by listening to them, um, either what they're talking to me about or without being too invasive, you know, listening to the way they're talking to their friends before or after class, Mm -hmm. picking up on certain things so that I can present that information to them um, in class. And also not being afraid to talk about current events or issues inside of the classroom. I think that children, no matter the age, youth, no matter the age, are very perceptive and they know what's going on. And there's no reason to do the whole, you know, adult thing of like, you're a child and we're not going to talk about things. And I think there's an appropriate way and an age responsive way that you can bring things up. And so really staying current, reading, listening, um, and realizing that students are also listening to you. They're also listening and watching the ways in which you engage with other people and other students. And so, you know, they're picking up on all of that energy. And so that is also something to be cognizant of. Amazing. You, You hit the nail on the head. Yes, the primary objective for a dance teacher is to teach children how to dance. However, there is so much more that goes along with it and educating yourself. It's got to start there mm-hmm. and making sure exactly. that what you know and, and and that you're aware of your behaviors almost. Because um, I think a lot of our exactly. habits and, and actions are just kind of subconscious mm-hmm. to the point when we get to these adult teaching positions. And so you have to kind of question yourself all the time challenge your your own <laughs> actions yes. um and, and make sure that what you're doing and and saying is is okay for the kids is because you're right they're listening <laughs> they are always listening have you experienced a low quality of care from dance teachers can you tell me a little bit about your perspective on that yeah i think you know, as I was reflecting on this question, I was like, you know, did my dance teachers even care? Mm. (laughs) You know, I couldn't even think about what that even looked like because it was, it was sort of just washed over. And so I think that a way 
that dance educators can care for their students um, is to not do that. <laughs> it's to acknowledge and, it. Right, to acknowledge it. And I think that, you know, there there may be some data on this, but there also may not be some data. I think that there's a stereotype that some performing artists who, you know, start out young, whether it's in like theater or dance, are like automatically queer or automatically mm. gay. Um which is definitely not true. No. But also there is a large amount of students who are. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and they find, um, like myself, found a home and found a place to be comfortable inside of performing. Yeah. Inside of, uh, you know, the performing arts. And so I think that teachers should address you know, LGBTQ issues and also just let their students know that they're here for them, whether they want to talk about it or not. Mm. Um, just, just having that open channel, you know, does leaps and bounds for students. Um, I think something that, that came out of the, I don't want to say tradition, but sort of came out of the lineage of, Mm -hmm you know, being fearful of disclosing your sexuality because of, you know, rightfully so because of so much discrimination, you know, losing your job, um, you know, being ousted from your community, you know, that's a real fear. And it still is a real fear for, you know, some educators. Um, But I think what I found to be, you know, most heartwarming is that me just simply sharing who I am and my story you know, in a very, you know, non-invasive way for myself, you know, not disclosing too much information because <laughs> some some kids will pry, which is very cute to me. But, um, you know, just in that, just in me showing up as myself, you know, then some students feel more comfortable coming to me if they're having an issue or, you know, I've had students come to me and ask, you know, how do I talk to my parents about this? Or, you know, I'm here. I don't know how to tell people or I'm having um, a very specific issue related to queerness that, you know, I can only talk to someone else who identifies in that Mm -hmm. way about. And I've been that trusted adult. Yeah. And so that's really heartwarming for me to see. Right. What would you suggest for straight dance teachers who maybe don't know that their students are struggling mm-hmm. or or how to deal with that or or should they di- be directed to someone that they can identify a bit better with i'm just not sure like what like what to do yeah. yeah and i think that's a that's a really great question and I think it can be answered in so many ways. And mm. I also, some of the strategies that I use are one thing I like to do that I usually do anyway is, is show my students some dance. So, you know, whether that's, you know, some concert dance, some TikTok dance, yeah. you know, something <laughs> YouTube, I like to show them dances, you know, just a way to talk about it. Mm. And that's a really great channel to use that you can, you know, seek out some artists that are openly queer or have queer themes and, you know, show them some of that art. And, you know, that may be a way for them to see themselves, you know, even though that you don't identify 
with them as the teacher, you know, they can see themselves in the art that you've presented to them. And so that may be some art that they may explore and that may lead them down, that may lead them to some other artists you know, to look into. So really what I'm getting at is resources. Mm. And those resources may look like, again, exposing them to certain artists, you know, giving them resources to, you know, other community organizations that do work around LGBTQ issues and um, not making it taboo to talk about, you know, and, and really just putting it out there that you are supportive and that, you know, even though I don't understand, again, it goes back to that empathy piece. It's like, I don't Mm -hmm. understand, you know, I won't understand and that's okay, but I'm also here for you. And I also, you know, here are some resources for you that I found. And even that, just even that piece of like doing that work to find things and to make people feel like they're cared about because you put in the effort to, you know, get them, some help or get them some other, you know, resources or find them things you think they may like. Mm, Yeah, you went that extra mile. And that means a lot to people. Exactly. Yeah, that's incredible advice. Thank you for that. So in the years to come, what do you wish to see more of in terms of social change and equality for all? Yeah, I think that, you know, there really needs to be a worldwide reckoning with racism and with white supremacy and what has transpired thus far. And I think that happens in spurts. And I think that it needs to continue to happen because once you sort of crack open the, the, the cave and you like let out the beast, you know, then it's a little bit easier to slay. (laughs) I just, I I went into like a very medieval metaphor but um (laughs) you know when you can see it you can face it right you know when you can't see it it's a little more ominous Mm -hmm. and sort of elusive and I think that you know we are also coming into this age of accountability and really understanding what that word means and employing um accountability and that I love that and I think that I would love to see that continue to happen, you know, accountability and action. So mm. not just saying the word, but what does it actually mean to put that in action? And that may mean some really tough decisions. And, you know, I really hope to see people caring for each other. I really hope to see, you know, communities come together and, you know, take care of each other. Yeah, I'd much rather live in that world. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. So before we wrap this up, I know you've started New Growth Collective. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So New Growth Collective is a collective of artists who are interested in just what I was talking about earlier, galvanizing community, doing community organizing, and really activating spaces with dance and using dance and movement as mutual aid. And what I mean by that is... Uh, Mutual aid is a practice of sort of caring for community through um, making sure that everyone has what they need. And I think that movement can play um, a pivotal part in the movement (laughs) for mutual aid. Caring for yourself and caring for your body um, is important work. And I think dancers and performers know about that best. And so we have those skills 
to share with people. And so I started New Growth Collective as a way to do that. And also as a way to continue my dance education and teaching practice, uh, I truly love to teach the babies <laughs> and love to teach all ages. And it was, you know, a way for me to continue doing that. Yeah, amazing. Well, where can listeners find out more? Yeah, currently, we are on Instagram, you can find us at newgrowthdance.ed. Um, yeah, and you can find us there to connect, um, to talk about dance education, to talk about movement as mutual aid. Amazing. And where can listeners find out more about you and follow everything that you're going to be up to? Yeah, I'm also on Instagram. You can follow my um, artistry slash um, solo page at Crystal, K-R-Y-S-T-A-L, Gems with two underscores. So crystal gems, two underscores. Perfect. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Dancer's Guide podcast. I really hope this episode can facilitate action and change within the dance world and, you know, at the very least, start some conversations. Absolutely. I just thank you so much for sharing all of your insight and perspective and stories. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has truly been a great conversation. As always, there's more episodes to come, so make sure you follow us on Instagram at A Dancer's Guide Official, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to this podcast on whichever app you listen from for updates on the latest episodes. I hope this episode gave you some ideas to take into your studio and even carry into your everyday life. These conversations are necessary for achieving change, and I encourage you to be open to talking about important human issues. It's really about supporting each other. Always remember, stay confident, be humble. Thanks for listening. Until next time.